Hey, everybody. Bleeding, Claire and Cobalt. We're back uh, leading into a visit from San Jose Earthquakes. We'll look back at last weekend's very disappointing result, but perhaps an encouraging performance in Dallas, losing 2-1. And um, we got a lot to talk about. Utah Royals hired a new head coach. We'll touch on that. And uh, much, much more right here on Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt. Hey guys, just a big shout out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding Claret and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you? If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from One Wire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and One Wire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, One Wire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club, and they care about you. All right, Ryan, uh, we are here today sitting in the press room where just about an hour ago, our old friend Amy Rodriguez was named the new head coach of Utah Royals FC. I know you were a big part of the club uh, during the Utah Royals 1.0 era. It was great to hear her talk about uh, some of her thoughts, her vision for Utah Royals 2.0, but just in general, what were your thoughts when you heard that Amy was going to be the head coach of uh, the NWSL franchise here in Utah starting in 2024? I love it. I think it's, um, it's, uh, I think it's a great move. I think, you know, obviously bringing a, being the head coach for an expansion team is never an easy job. Bringing the Royals back and kind of with the nod to the history that's already here, I think is important. I think that it's understanding her pedigree as a U.S. national team player and as a as a um, NWSL player, a professional women's soccer player in this in the, in the United States. I like I like the idea that that the Royals are already something that's embedded in this community in a yeah. way that we're already paying like tribute to them as like we're bringing back a, a, right. a you know one of the legacy Royal players. The fans are clamoring for it. It's pretty surreal to like come into this building and see the Royals logo. It's not the same logo, but the same colors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the new Royals logo does. De- it's definitely <laughs> part of the. It's still part of the whole. The, the yeah. I think it fits with the 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 history of this club. But it is it's real and it's crazy. And I think I don't you know the things. Royals bring out a different part of my like the my my reaction mm. my emotional reaction to the Royals yeah. is different than the RSL. I don't know necessarily why. Maybe yeah. it's because I was kind of involved from like the the beginning and I kind of yeah. Got and fit. I was only involved the inaugural year, twenty eighteen. I was not around for twenty nineteen and the twenty twenty Challenge Cup, which ultimately ended up being the last uh, iteration of the Royals. But you know, there are a few people that are really questioning. Amy's lack of head coaching experience. And to me, I'm like, okay, I know she's an incredible leader, always was on the field, whether it was 
for Utah, Kansas City, USA, whoever, everywhere she's been, she's clearly a leader. She com- she has a commanding presence, commanding voice as well. Um, you know, she's won everything there is to win in between Olympics, World Cups, NCAA, whatever. Now, I get it. Expansion is hard. Uh, it's hard to build a team, but I can't think of anybody better, honestly. Like, with her playing pedigree, she's the first NWSL champion to become a head coach in this league. Um, she's the first American NWSL player to become a head coach in this league. So I'm really excited to see what she does. Clearly she needs, and I'm confident she will be, surrounded by the right staff, the right front office, certainly the right, we think we have the right like business side to support the Royals in this second iteration. And I just think it's exciting. Like we got a Women's World Cup coming up this summer. Um, the Blitzer Group does have women's football ties in some of its uh, clubs. You've heard Michelle Hinchick talk a lot about uh, one of the data analysts that is, that is heavily involved in the player identification process that will be working with whoever the sporting director or GM is. There's still kind of a blank slate feel, but I could not be more confident that Amy's fingerprints, Amy's guiding hand on a lot of this trumps the experience question. I actually thought Michelle Hinchick, uh, the president of the Royals, answered that question very well. She's like, look, you can't get experience unless somebody gives you the opportunity. And that's very much what uh, the ownership of this club wants to do is is give people the opportunity. And she cited her legal career. She had no sports experience before she went to MLS, but you know she did a great job there. I obviously have a soft spot for Michelle. We did the first KSL streaming uh, over-the-top deal uh, when I was here in uh, prior to the 18 season. So, look, I I just – I dismiss that almost because – and I'm not taking a shot at Laura Harvey. Laura had an incredible amount of experience. She had kind of done a little bit of everything on either side of the pond, but she didn't have success here for various reasons, uh, many of which were outside of her control. Well, I think that as, a, as Royals fans and as people that have watched this team – I think we do realize that there were some things that were, uh, aside the, fi- the fact of just being an expansion team, there were some things that, that, that some challenges of the Royals 1.0. Hopefully we see those. Hopefully this, this new iteration sees those problems and specifically addresses them. Um, you know, I, I'm confident that this isn't going to be, I mean, I'm sure Amy will have a career beyond the Royals at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think that what she's going to bring here is going to be something that's as valuable as anybody, that any name you could list. What if she's the Jerry Sloan? Then, the Royals absolutely. Here for 25 uh, who, years? That would be <laughs> incredibly ideal. Could you imagine that would be, I hope that that's I mean, that. I thought that was going to be Jason Christ for a while. Yeah, I think I think it would be, I mean, I think we're kind of, we're, we're aching for that here again. We want to yeah. have something like that. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I do think that as Amy, Amy, I feel like we're lucky that someone who is as driven and as sought after as Amy Rodriguez, yeah. I think the fact that she chose to take on this challenge, I in her press conference, if you can, um, she did kind of mention the fact that she does feel a little overwhelmed by the idea, sure. and I think, I think that that maybe that we talk, we're talking about all these things that have to fit and in, 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 yeah. in, fall into place for things to work. I do think that that this is a good opportunity for her to take that step. She could sit, you know, she could stay an assistant coach. She maybe she would have been more comfortable coming on as an assistant coach to the catch up. But I think jumping and taking this this opportunity to to do this and to kind of lead the charge as yeah. as the Royals come back out. I mean it's you know, we're not saying I mean NWSL is in a in a different place completely than it was in 2018. Yeah. Um I don't think that means it's 
the, the, the challenges are still similar, but I think yeah. there's some new challenges that, that, that she's going to face here that Laura Harvey in that iteration sure. didn't have to do, but why not put somebody who has the energy, who has the history? I mean, there's the, yeah, there's the history is great. And first and foremost for me, her love of this community, her love that she wants to reciprocate because of how welcomed she and others were during the first iteration of the Royals. That's why she's moving her family here. That's why her husband is going to be looking for a job here. She's bringing her kids. Like she's she's fully invested, and uh, I just couldn't think of somebody better to uh, to lead the Royals. We're lucky to have somebody who is this kind of a personality. The Royals, the the new the new version of the Royals is going to be as fun and exciting as we remember, and its potential is off the charts. So I, I can't. I, I I literally am like buzzing right now. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, a lot more to come from the Royals, right? Uh, they have to fill out a, a tech staff. They have to fill out a front office staff. They have to scout players. They have to sign players. Um, you know, the NWSL still needs to determine the expansion draft procedures. Who's going to pick first, Utah or San Francisco or Bay Area, whatever they're calling it. Um, so there's a lot a lot to dive into as uh, new details and policies and protocols and procedures uh, come out before and after the Women's World Cup this summer, and then, of course, looking ahead to next year's NWSL season. So, Okay, Ryan, I'm going to kind of go glass half full to start, and then maybe we get into the glass half empty stuff, but RSL losing 2-1 at Dallas. Um, I did not make that road trip. It was the first like road game I have not attended. I think I missed one last year um, for, I think it was my niece's graduation or something. Um, so it was a really bizarre experience for me to sit at home, fire up the Apple TV, and and watch and honestly the first probably 10 minutes of the game was not a good experience because in the pregame they're obviously having problems in the truck so i'm getting this like black screen glitchiness for about a second and a half every 30 or 45 seconds it was annoying and then when I'm trying, they're trying to talk about the Pablo Ruiz goal from the Charlotte game two weeks ago. They're rolling that tape, or or they're the announcers are starting to talk about him as if they're going to roll the tape, and then they re rack the same tape that they just ran for Jesus Ferreira. And I'm just so I'm feeling disrespected as an RSL fan. Um, I thought Mark Rogandino and Heath Pierce actually did a pretty good job talking about us and and you know I'd spent some time with those guys in the week leading up trying to get them to to understand all the things that are happening around here but that that little black glitch out happened several times in the pregame in the first few minutes of the game and I turned to my girlfriend I'm like I cannot watch a game like this like this is infuriating it's annoying I know a lot of other people were having the problems because everybody else was talking about it on Twitter I guess we should be glad that we were not logged out of our season pass or our Apple TV plus accounts and not able to log back in because that outage happened. Um, I think starting around halftime of our game and it happened nationwide and it wasn't just an MLS specific issue. 
it was an Apple issue, so it was affecting iCloud and Apple Music and all this stuff. So, um, it, you know, it could have been a much worse Saturday night, I guess. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so David James is down at the KSL studio calling this game on radio with, it was supposed to be Jay Nolly, but it was Nick Ramondo. Like, did those guys lose their feed? Like, what's going on? What ha- We don't have a broadcast without Apple. There's no redundancy there. So um, those are all the things that are happening. And then, you know, what was it? Seven or eight minutes into the game, we give up a, honestly, a pretty cruddy goal. Um, And you can blame any one of a number of guys because it it happened to be, you know, a phase of play, I guess, that Dallas put together, I think, 14 straight passes. The pressure was never there. There was too much space. Runners were not, were not tracked. Um, You could blame it on, Zach McMath at the end, you can blame on Bodie, you can blame it on Glad, you can blame it on a bunch of other guys um, earlier in the sequence for not like making Dallas make a tough decision with a pass or a dribble. So anyway, you're down one nothing early. It's seventh straight game. Uh, we've only played seven games this year, by the way. Uh, seventh straight game. We've given up the first goal. So, you know, we've heard Pablo and other guys talk about in their media, like we haven't been able to really play with much of a lead, certainly not in the beginning and not in the first half, not in the beginning of a game. Um, I think we only led, what, the last 20 minutes in, 15 or 20 minutes in Vancouver, and then the last 20 minutes um, against Charlotte here a couple of weeks ago. So you're clawing back. It, now the good news, I guess, for me is I was very encouraged by the way RSL played for you know the 80 minutes between Dallas goals. We were clearly the aggressor. We were dictating the tempo. We were holding on to the ball. We were connecting passes, maybe a little more in the second half than the first. Um, and that pressure that was not there on that Dallas goal eight minutes in was there. We were winning balls in their uh, defensive third. We were um, asking a lot of questions of their goalkeeper. Their goalkeeper came up with some big saves. Uh, finally, Savarino uh, did equalize, broke through got his 30th career goal. So he's one assist away from being, I think, the fifth 30-30 guy in RSL history. Um, he'll be the second fastest if he gets an assist in the next few games behind Joao Plata. He did 30-30 in 104 games. It'll be uh, Savarino's done it now, or he's he did the 30 goals in 107. So um, it was great to see him smiling and engaged like we talked about the week before uh, against Charlotte. So there's a big opportunity this weekend against San Jose Ryan for RSL to have back-to-back home wins for the first time since last May 28th slash June 18th. Who did RSL beat last June 18th to have that second of a back-to-back win at home? San Jose. So if you believe in that stuff, I know Pablo doesn't. I know a lot of people don't and we all probably shouldn't, but hey, it's a nice little trend. Um, that was like 13 home games ago that we were able to have back-to-back home wins. We need to do it this week, obviously. Going into the San Jose game, I know I'm always glass half full. I am very positive because what I've seen from this team against Charlotte and against Dallas gives me hope. And I feel like the team has stayed together. They fought through some very, very dark days. You know, they went almost a month without winning. 
uh, back-to-back 4 nothing losses. Um, all the things we've seen in the last two games we did not see during those during that streak. You still need more finishing, obviously. Um, and whether that's Savarino, whether that's Rubin, whether that's Gomez, we saw Brian Ojeda come on at halftime and have a really nice side volley that their keeper made a nice save on. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm expecting good things Saturday against San Jose. San Jose's better than they have been in recent years, Ryan, and they won here twice in 2021, both comeback wins. Um, they've won, I think, the second most games on Utah soil than any Western Conference opponent. Um, Portland has won more. Actually, Dallas has won more. Portland has the best percentage. San Jose is right there. So all-time RSL in regular season against San Jose, seven wins, five losses, seven draws. So it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be tough, but um, enough from me. What did what did you see? What did you feel watching uh, that game against Dallas? Um, first of all, you just uh, sparked a maybe not a well. It's it's a it's a classic MLS memory. I don't know that I'm happy to have it, but uh, that last game, the San Jose, that one you were referencing, where they came from behind. Yeah. I believe Wando scored a goal. Scored in the, two in two the final in, ten minutes. And uh, the sec, the, the last one. Um, so this was back when I was doing digital media with the team, and uh, we were down on the field behind the goal. Um, we had some of the digital team were holding like we we're trying to get like social media videos of the of yeah. the goals and stuff like that, or just yeah. like of the game. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Like you're saying, great performance. I think it's still frustrating because we're kind of coming off a string of uh, maybe less than (laughs) acceptable performances. And I think that um, we are looking for, we're looking for this team to break out in the way that we've been told that they can. And I think that, you know, even we're, we're as, as anybody who's been flying that flag, it's us on the show. It's like, I think that what we've seen at training, what we've seen, like, we know they're capable of, like, it, it hasn't shown up on the field the way I think it does. Um, having Savarino score um, another goal, I think, is, is, very, is evident that, like, something's happening there that's going through him. I think that wasn't a goal that I, I would say that was, like, um, that's not. It wasn't on the top lit, top ten of yeah. his of a Sarino goal. But what it did say was, it's a let's get this goal when we need to get the goal. Well, and what what great service from Justin oh, yeah. Aram. Yeah, I think I think I think it, the pieces were all there. It wasn't like you know. I think that we wanted. We saw some other. We saw some saves. You brought that up too. Yeah. Some saves from some some shots that I think should have been goals. I think that yeah. the, the, the Dallas keeper kept them in the game and probably, you know, should, is as deserving for of that result as anybody on the field. That team is that Dallas team is a very stacked team. It's it's kind of you know that again talking about like putting players in the right positions. I mean, look at that that lineup of like, um, you know, just all of the you know national team players yeah. on there. I mean, Asu scored a goal yesterday, like yeah. for the national team. Yeah. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that he's a he's as big a play as big a player as you can have in MLS. That I think is performing in that. I think, but just going down the line with like Legit, uh, Pomaco. I mean, just all these. MLS, yeah. like, stay, you know, stay, like, this is like. Did you think it was a handball? Yes. Yes. I, yeah. I, I, I agree with that idea. Like, I don't know what a handball is anymore. Nobody does. And I think, I think that, like, that sounds like kind of like a Twittery take, but I'm like, I have seen, I mean, he, his arm was extended away from his body, but yeah. it was, I mean, it wasn't unnaturally extended, obviously, Correct. but I've seen, you know, I've seen balls bounce up and hit someone on their hand when they're running. And yeah. I guess, but I mean, no, that's, that's the thing. And I, I guess where I think a lot of RSL fans are frustrated, 
And Pablo was asked on his media on Tuesday, like he's never gotten an explanation from the league or VAR. I know we didn't see the referee go to the monitor. That doesn't mean it wasn't checked. Yeah. Like the VAR referee certainly checked it, and then they just said, there's nothing for you to look at, Mr. Middle Official. Um, that was frustrating for everybody uh, that he never even actually went back and looked at the monitor. But, you know, I would. this is when I wish Dunny was back on Twitter because, you know, he's always very good about walking us through those things or retweeting the people that, that are breaking down the minutia on VAR and handball and all that kind of stuff. And, and we didn't get that. As far as I could tell, kind of digging into it, that the best possible explanation I could see is that it just wasn't unnatural. Yeah. It's like, and I think that that's where they're leaning on. The, I don't know if that's specifically this league right now, or if yeah. it's kind of an overall FIFA type of thing. I mean, there's a lot of things. I think that that did, did speak to like, there was some pressure up high, very frequently RSL was in places where yeah. the ball, if it bounces off the right foot or the right angle, it's going, it's going to be a goal. I think yeah. we've had a couple, I mean, there was a couple like, didn't know much about it saves yeah. um, in situations like that. Sure. And I think like, um, I feel the frustration, Trey. I think, I think that's one of those things. I feel the frustration because I don't feel like the team that RSL is putting on the field is anything less than whatever, what the, the teams we've played against. I think yeah. that, that, I think the, the, the qualities there, I think the skills there, I think that obviously this team could benefit from an injection of, uh, you know, top tier talent. Obviously sure. I don't think there's any team that wouldn't, yeah. But I mean, what? But here's another thing that I'm, I've been looking around. Like, Lee, there's a lot of DPS that are not performing right now. A lot of very frustrated fans with the big money players. Houston's not even playing there. And it's like, I, I, <laughs> not to say that like that make that 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 excuses sure. the situation or whatever, but that doesn't solve the problems. And I think that what we're seeing though is like we have a team, and I keep hammering this drum, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not tactically minded enough to like really give a really in depth analysis, but I feel like the cohesion of the players seeing the connections on the field seeing the the pass from the back line yeah. to the midfield to the you know to a chance in the box we're seeing that happen more consistently i guess sure. and i think that what needs to happen is that our our strikers need to be putting those balls in, in, yeah. in, the, in the back of the net and obviously that's the thing with like soccer that is the yeah we just need <laughs> to score more goals than the team i think you know you got to get those opportunities. I think that the the I think the opportunities are there, and I think that's one thing that RSL's always kind of been good at is creating those yeah. opportunities. So I don't know what's the magic. Yeah, no, it's a good question because you know for from game two to game five, we didn't create those chances, right? They did not look cohesive. Uh, I feel like the last two weeks, the cohesion has come back on board. The veterans that had been underperforming the first part of the year, you know, met expectations, right? Now we are seeing, um, you know, Marcelo Silva gets back in. Zach McMath looks better, right? Uh, Justin Glad uh, is solid, right? Pablo Ruiz certainly stepped up his game the last two games compared to the two prior to that. Brian Vera's fit in, I think, very nicely. Savarino was kind of a shell of himself for a little bit. He's stepped it up a notch. He's playing with a smile. He's scoring goals. Uh, Andres Gomez has gotten better every time out almost. He's still, uh, you know, we have to remind everybody he's still a young kid that's trying to figure it all out. And and it's a, it's a roller coaster, right? First half against Dallas, how frustrating was it to see him kind of get a ball in a great position and then he kind of dances on it, the defense catches up, and then it's a missed opportunity where it's easy for us sitting at home watching on TV to say, just play the simple pass back to Bodie 
you're going to get the ball right back or whatever, right? One thing with that specifically, I think that when we've heard people like Pablo talk about Gomez specifically, he's like, he's what you, he's like, he's like a goldfish. He said that, I yeah, that going back to our like <laughs> Ted Lasso connections, but he's like, he doesn't have a memory, but he also like, if you notice, he's making improvements every game. It's crazy to watch that happen. That situation right there, although it didn't result in a goal in the game, yeah. I think that situation is going to be directly responsible for goals in the future. Sure. Well, and then obviously Anderson Julio and Rubio Rubin are the guys that I think are are most under the microscope because they're the guys occupying that kind of center striker channel at times. Uh, they're kind of rotating. I think Rubin's holdup play has been great. I think his press has been better than anybody I've seen since you know Bobby Wood, which is his press up top was key to our fast start last year. It's hard to appreciate those things, though, right? Right, Because what we want to see Rubio Rubin and Anderson Julio do is put the ball in the back of the net. And we did see it from Julio um, with the game winner two weeks ago in Charlotte. Very brave decision by him to kind of just stick his head in there with a defender and a goalkeeper kind of moving yeah. <laughs> at him uh, to get on that ball from Gomez. But, you know, with, with Rubin, like he wears that target. I think he... He's dealing with the pressure that's on him better. I feel like we are seeing freer performances from him. But, you know, he had the header against Charlotte off the great Brody cross that, you know, he headed it and the keeper made an instant reaction save and it was nice. Like, I don't know how much of it is bad finishing. I don't know how much of it is luck. Um, clearly, like, he's, he went and scored for Guatemala during the international break. So I, f I feel like the dam is just about to burst. And again, that's a glass half full thing. But, you know, Sunday I'm getting texts from the people that did TV and radio in Dallas. And they're like, man, you guys should have had probably all three points. That's how good you were. You just, you need a nine. You need a finisher. You need a striker. Yeah. And that's clearly what everybody says on Twitter. Um, you know, talking to Elliot and Kurt, everybody's trying. But again, it, you can't just go randomly throw two or five or ten million dollars down and grab somebody. You got to grab somebody that fits in a million different ways, and it's and it's harder in this league. I'm not trying to make excuses for them. I'm just trying to explain, like you know, the the idiosyncrasies of MLS. And um, to your point earlier, we have seen teams go out and buy a ten million dollar striker, and Columbus certainly has had a lot of success with that. Houston had success with that in Herrera. Um, but to your point earlier, you know, there are teams that have spent a lot of money on DPs and they haven't gotten it done. Um, could Demir be back? Because, right, everybody wants to see Demir at the nine uh, because he is a phenomenal finisher. And when he's close to goal, that's why he's not playing a six or an eight anymore like he was early in his RSL career because he's so phenomenally efficient uh, if he can get touches in front of goal. That's why he had 16 goals in 2021. And I've probably said it on this pod before, if Crylock, Julio, Rubin, and even if it's two of those three, like recapture their 2021 form, because it was all kind of lost years for those guys due to various injuries and contract situations and whatever last year, I mean, I think we'll be pretty potent. So I don't know, man. I just, I feel like we're right there. Um, obviously, if you hear... And maybe y'all, we can hear some of the sound from uh, the media earlier this week with McMath and uh, Rubin and, and Pablo uh, Mastroeni talking about what it means to come home after a performance like that, to come home, 
to play in front of your fans. These guys really do feel an obligation to the fans, uh, especially at home. But, you know, they don't, they don't accept um, disappointing results probably much better than all of us do. Now, they, they are quick to point out, like, hey, we're seven games in to a 34-game regular season. We got Open Cup starting next week. We got Leagues Cup. So there's still like seven and a half, eight months of soccer, 30-plus games left. So let's not burn it all down. And look, all these guys have been through tough stretches before. But I don't know. I'm strangely optimistic this week. But San Jose scares me because of what we've seen Wando and others do in this building in the past. I know that I would be a fan of a behind the scenes, like day by day documentary of what goes on in Elliot's office. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> uh, I do think it's, it's it is interesting. We it's kind of a if you think about like the team behind the team, um, it's imagine if you were like the the what we get from them because of the way that 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 whole system system has to operate. It's kind of like following a team, but you never get to watch them play. You only get to see the results, right? Yeah, and so that's very frustrating. The idea of what actually has to go on what goes on in those in those rooms just you know that's fascinating i mean there's been you know huge big blockbuster movies made about that kind of stuff i mean it's yeah. an interesting obviously like i want to know like what does it take to get a big name player here because i think that's yeah. the i don't think that dropping a latan on this team is yeah. the answer right but i don't think that that's like too far away from like something sure. i think i think you could have a team in salt lake I think a team that's like with a player, you know, a marquee player would, yeah. I think that would be a very, that'd be very good for the league. I think, um, I know that there's a, something about like, you know, we, we kind of feel like we're slighted in Salt Lake because of the, you know, the, the league wants LA and New York and Miami to have the teams. But I think there's, there's something to be said about the, the strength of a team like this, you know, if we had, a, if we had, it, it's been a long time since we've had a big name player here. I don't know that what, I don't know what it's going to take to get a player a player that fits that parameter yeah. here. You know, you hear rumors of like how Ronaldo was almost went almost went to Kansas City and yeah. that kind of stuff. And like, I think that there's 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 something you said. All about, that really means is Kansas City reached out. Oh, definitely. They were definitely. bold enough. Definitely. I think. I mean, it takes yeah. the. But it, I mean, you, you got to you only got to sell one ten thousand dollar pencil, right? And you make you made. <laughs> but um, I mean, I was, yeah. Elliot <laughs> talked about some of this um, when he did the uh, town hall with the fans right before opening day. Look, some players will only go to New York or L.A. or Miami because their age or their situation dictates that's where they want to be. Yeah. But there is not really – like, I mean, Garth I, Garth used to talk about all he had to do to recruit Sabarillo, who was from Costa Rica, had a miserable experience in, in Switzerland but was still owned by that team, which was a very corrupt organization, by the way and had a miserable experience in um, Bristol in England, all Garth had to do was show him pictures of mountains. And Sabo was like, I want to come. And and look, we've all had periods of our life where we wanted certain things. And, you know, you either get old or you have kids or you get married or you break up or, you know, things happen. Your dog dies, your grandmother dies, whatever. Like Dunny talks about this stuff all the time. There are just things that happen that change your perspective. And when people look at this club, um, you know, guys want to win, right? So th that's that's another thing is that there have been people in these walls in the past and certainly outside of these walls that have said, hey, we have everybody making between, you know, 100 and a million, maybe a couple exceptions. We can't just drop a $10 million player 
And and I think I've said that, and I've believed that in the past, and maybe it was true with certain groups, right? Can you imagine if you had, uh, like, Robbie Keane, right? If he had come into this team instead of the LA Galaxy, when Kyle, Nick, Sabo, Javi, Fabian, Andy Williams, Ned Grabovoy, Will Johnson, Tony Beltran, uh, Hamas and Olave, Nap Orchers, Robbie Russell, Chris Wingert, um, all those guys were still... Because those guys... Part of the reason we were able to keep that core together is it was it was economically feasible as and and those guys all enjoyed having success with each other. They got their bonuses. Like we got Ned Grabovoy off waivers from San Jose. He signed a nothing contract, but part of the reason he signed it, he's like, I'll make up the money I'm losing because we're gonna go to CONCACAF and we're gonna win open cup and we're gonna win playoff games. Like it was a very like performance laden incentive for him, right? So if you had brought Robbie Keane into that group at the time, two things could have happened. Either everybody would have been resentful that he made more than all of them combined, or, and maybe both happen, right? That's how it is, and then he starts banging in goals, and they're like, okay, we're going to win some things, right? We're going to win hardware because we've got this killer guy. And you just, I think you never really know. And look, we've had different ownership situations over the years that dictate how much you can and can't spend at a time, in a window, at a certain position. Then you have the front office and the coaches all trying to get on the same page. I feel very confident that Pablo and Elliot and Kurt are very much aligned. I also, as we've heard Elliot say, I'm very confident that if the right $10 million player showed up, that they would they would pull the trigger. But they need Pablo to say yes. They need Elliot to say yes. They need Kurt to say yes. They need the agent to say yes. They certainly need the player to say yes. And I don't think any player – then we're getting into territory, okay, do you have to overpay somebody to come to Utah? Well, it depends. Because more and more now this league, even more than two or three years ago, is a stepping stone to Europe. And some agents and some players are probably waking up to say – hey, if I go play a few years at Real Salt Lake, does that give me a chance at Crystal Palace? Does that give me a chance at Augsburg? You know, we've seen other players come from Beveren here because this is maybe a better opportunity for them. It's all situational. Yeah, Everton wasn't doing anything here at the end of his RSL career. He's literally the best player on SK Beveren, and he's kept them from relegation, and maybe he helps them get promoted. I I'm not familiar with the details of all this stuff, but I, I just think we do have such an inferiority complex in this market because people say we haven't been able to get NBA free agents here for the Jazz. So I think people apply that. It's a little bit of a different marketplace. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot more reasons. And, and look, we're going to find out this summer. The Jazz are going to have 50, 60 million in, in cap space. You know, if you lose... If Jordan Clarkson says he's not coming back, and again, every situation's different. Jordan Clarkson may be at a stage in his life where he don't want to hang out in Salt Lake, but we may, you know, there may be, uh, who's another, like, okay, Bruce Brown over in Denver. He is, he took basically less money because he's got, he's from Boston. He played in Brooklyn, uh, went to the University of Miami. He's not a guy that you would think would love Denver. He shows up every game wearing a cowboy hat, cowboy boots. He loves country music. 
it's he's not the profile for all that. So I don't know. I just think the narratives around that stuff are maybe a little contrived and overwrought. Uh, a couple of things. Um, obviously, I needed we needed the Denver Nuggets moment uh, uh, segment right here. I'd love to see that list of players that meet the criteria that you just that you spelled out there. You know, that they have to be on everybody's list. I mean, there's got to be that that list yeah. has to exist, and it's got to be in this building somewhere. <laughs> um, I'd love to see that list. Just to be curious. But I can't help but like just be like my brain is going to, when you said Robbie Keane on sure. this team. Like you listed the names. I love the let's name some guys, especially when it's RSL 2013 era. Yeah. yeah I love that. that. That list of names is just, that, that sparks something in me that I, but drop Robbie Keane onto that. On that yeah. And I feel based on what he did at LA, yeah. I think there's two or three more stars above the RSL crest if Robbie Keane is on that team. 100%. And does that, so what would you have to pay to get Robbie Keane to play here? Yeah. Would have been obviously, like you said, it'd been more than the entire payroll of the team by quite a bit. Right. Back then, I think the back then the the full payroll was under four million. Back yeah, then, yeah, I think you're right. Um, what was Robbie Keane making here? It was at least six, I think. Yeah, I mean, which is well less than he was making in and look in England. It but, was also the kind of thing where maybe he would have come here after well, yeah, so, being at LA for a couple of years, but he wasn't going to come here well, straight from Europe. Right? I think I think that the the fantasy of this this this. Experiment thought experiments obviously. And do you remember the compliments that like Thierry Henry used to throw? Around? Oh, absolutely. But that again, he wasn't. Yeah, from afar, I think, he's not exposed. I to think it. the reality is the reality is like what would it have taken to get? Like if you had to say like, tell me exactly what it would have taken to have Robbie Keane look past LA and come to RSL. Right? It would probably would have taken more than six million dollars a year. Probably have taken a lot more than that. I mean, so what does that do for RSL now? Like, let's say if RSL is you know twenty twenty three. You know, a decade away from when Robbie Keane was here, you know, scoring goals and winning championships. What does RSL look like now? Like, is what is the benefit? Like, do, you, do we see teams that have like completely changed as far as an organization because of the players that they've had ten years ago? I mean, LA is kind of in a bad place right now. Well, and that's the thing. Like, look at LA, look at Portland, uh, look at Kansas City. Like, they just gave Peter Vermees a five-year extension, and they've scored two goals in eight games. Like. As bad as things kind of feel here right now because of our slow start, yeah, we could be in a lot of worse situations. Now, I'm not subscribing to this whataboutism. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And no, I know I'm definitely yeah, taking uh, it. In. Look, even just not even speaking hypothetically, LAFC did not make the playoffs two years ago. Atlanta United has really struggled since they sold Almiron, and obviously Yosef Martinez had knee injury, but they had some glorious years and and were dominating this league and won, you know, cup, right? Um I it, it's funny to me a couple a couple years ago, I guess. Or it was a little over a year ago. Elliot said to me, "LAFC actually has a really similar model to us." And that sounds ridiculous on its face. But what LAFC did is they built a team and obviously they have the Carlos Vela, right? So we didn't have that. But all their other moves were U22 initiative, TAM. They they bought a lot of young players via those other non-DP mechanisms. Then, you know, they didn't make the playoffs. Bob Bradley leaves. Terundolo comes in. They sell some of those assets. And look, they had high-level, very young South American and European players that they were able to move on for massive profit, like that's the idea, right? And I think that's the idea. And then they go buy like a Kalini uh, and a, a Gareth Bale 
and those guys got a lot of headlines. I don't know that those guys contributed a ton to that cup. Obviously, they had moments. Um, clearly, Gareth Bale had an unbelievable header against Philadelphia to to create penalties. I don't mean to be dismissive of his LAFC time, but I think that's the goal, right? And that's what RSL is trying to do with the academy. That's what RSL is trying to do with with Gomez. And and certainly there's hits and there's misses. LAFC hasn't been perfect, but they did seem to have kind of a perfect storm where a lot of their signings, and now they've reloaded, right? They they signed a couple guys late last year that I think very few people had, had heard of but were valued on, on the on the international market. And now, I mean, they're absolutely crushing it this year. So, it, you know, look, everybody has a plan. It takes a certain bit of magic. I, I guess ultimately what I'm trying to get to is I think that we could do something still in this window. We could do something in the summer window. It could be one player. It could be multiple players that sort of transform this thing. And I'm still very bullish on on Brian Ojeda and and a lot of the recent moves, right? I think I think Elliot and Kurt have added and Pablo have added 13 new players in the last year, right? Starting with Savarino, Julio, Luna, Masofsky, um then going Oviedo, Ojeda, um you know, that doesn't even count Jasper from last year's draft, but it would count like a couple of this year's draft picks. Um you know, Bodie has emerged. The thing is the assimilation timeline, the development timeline, um, all these timelines for everybody are different, right? And and it's not linear, right? You have you have uh, it's a roller coaster ride. I think that the, the, this does bring into play something that we you know kind of get all a little bit self conscious about when we start mentioning is that that does mean that a locker room that is positive and it is nurturing and that is like conducive to having a good experience is important to yeah. cultivate that situation. Yeah. I think that you do, you're talking about those names, like the number of players that we have here and the, you know, we do, we do have players that look like they should be, you know, we haven't seen their full potential yet. And I think that, right. that, that you don't cultivate that in a, in a, in an environment that is all personality central, yeah. you know, like it has to be a team central situation where you have this. Uh, and I think that's what we have here. And as cliche as it sounds, and maybe as frustrating as it sounds like that's, that's a big part of what's going to make, I think, RSL, you know, 2024 and beyond, you know, even though the rest of this season, I think that you can't discount like how important it is to have a place where that those, oh man, I'll say it again, the good vibes are, are are there, you know? So I think that that's, that's important because I think that like, well, like I said, just like, you, you, you can't bring somebody in and expect them to reform if there, there's not a, if it's not a supportive situation or anything. I think that above as much as things as we can talk about, I think RSL does have that in place. I yeah. think, I mean... And so I think that that's one thing we can be, I don't know, maybe frustrated that we always bring it up, but I think it's important. No, and look, we all want results, right? And so looking ahead, we do have a Open Cup game in Las Vegas on Wednesday the 26th. That game will be streamed, video, video streamed live on KSL. Uh, so it's kind of a return to the old ways maybe some of you used to watch. We were not one of the eight games selected by Bleacher Report and U.S. Soccer. So um, thank you to our friends at, at, at KSL for stepping up and making that game available. Should RSL advance from that game and go to the next Open Cup round, the fourth round, which is May 9th and 10th, we will be in a situation where we're going to see a lot of different players. We're going to have a lot of games, like every three days. 
uh, from May 6th in Houston, especially if we keep winning in the Open Cup because we start having MLS midweek games in May. So from, I want to say it's from May 6th to June 10th, we could have 10 games in 34 days. And if you include this game against San Jose, the the Las Vegas Open Cup, and then the Seattle home game on the 29th, that turns into like 13 games in 40 days. So we're going to see a lot of rotation. We're going to see a lot of depth, hopefully. And then maybe we could look back and say, hey, Gavin Beavers, good thing he got that start in Columbus, even though the scoreline didn't look good. He he looked okay, got thrown in the fire, like it prepped him for whatever the next step is, right? Because, you know, Emeka Anelli, same thing, you know, gets thrown in the fire for two starts. Bodie gets tweaked against Dallas. He gets thrown in for the last 20 minutes. Like those experiences. Um, and then, you know, you've got some of the older guys that haven't been playing much lately because they've been hurt, like a Brian Oviedo, let's say. You've got Scott Caldwell. You've got um, uh, Jasper, Ruiz, Ojeda. Like, I feel like we do have, you know, with Vera and then Holt is now coming back. Like, you've got center backs to rotate. You've got outside backs to rotate. You've got midfield pivots to rotate. Diego Luna should get a lot of minutes, hopefully, in these various competitions before he has to disappear for the U-20 World Cup, which is now in Argentina. They took it away from Indonesia. Um, you've got forwards. So... There's going to be a lot, knock on wood, especially if the team does well, a lot of rotation uh, just out of a workload necessity. But then you also get to maybe ride some you know, hot hands, if you will, if Rubin or Julio or Musovsky or Krylock or um, Miram or whoever is kind of in those uh, forward playmaker and winger roles to, to get some stuff done. So... Um, that I actually feel good about our depth as much as I would maybe look at the Dallas game and say, man, we just needed one piece to, you know, if we had Cucho, right? Like what happens there? Don't know. Maybe Cucho can't lead a press the way Rubin leads a press, but, you know, we've seen his finishing ability. So, um, and then maybe those extra reps would give a Rubin or a Musovsky or a Krylock the opportunity to, to get hot and get confident and see that ball. So, Anyway, a lot of soccer coming up in a short period of time. We look forward to seeing everybody at America First Field against San Jose Saturday night, against Seattle on the 29th. And then, uh, uh, you know, we're back home with, with home games on May 13th, May 17th, I think May 27th, June 10th. Like, it's a lot. And uh, as always, don't forget that you can also watch our beloved Real Monarchs home and away through your Apple TV MLS Season Pass subscriptions. Right now, there are only live games there. The plan is to add archived Monarchs games if you want to go back and watch some of the young uh, young guys that, that will be wearing Claret and Cobalt in future years get their uh, first professional experience. So, thanks, everybody. Appreciate you, Ryan. Appreciate the Adam Sessions at One Wire Fiber and appreciate everybody who listens, downloads, shares, and rates our beloved Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast.